Good morning, everybody. It's time. It's time. It's time for something big to happen. It's time to take action. No more waiting around when it's time. It's time. As you saw, I'm guessing a lot of you maybe recognize. Anybody recognize a movie uh, in, that, in that whole montage? Anybody recognize? You've never heard of any of them. Okay. I've, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen a few of those. Isn't it interesting that in all the movies and the films and the stories that we love, there's this reoccurring theme of time. There comes a point in the movie where the, the hero or the heroine has to stop waiting around to do what they've been created to do and move and take action. It's time or the story's not going to move forward. Even the great epic bone chiller movies like Dumb and Dumber have a moment where it's time. It's time to go to, it's time to get on the scooter and go to Aspen, whatever it is. When you think about it, those words, it's time. Time has a lot of defining characteristics in our lives. Just that simple phrase, it's time. Think about how many huge life moments that you've had that have been defined by those words, it's time. For some of you, maybe it's been recently at a, a job interview and you're, you're waiting uh, outside, you know, in the lobby and waiting for the, the person that's going to interview you to uh, your potential future employer to come out and they say, okay, they say your name, it's time. Everybody say with me, it's time to come on in. Maybe some of you have been waiting with a loved one in the waiting room or in the pre-op room at the hospital or the clinic, or you're going in to get your test results, or you're going in for a major surgery or something like that, and the nurse comes in and says your name and says... It's time, right? Others of you maybe have had uh, the, the privilege of uh, being outside the church doors uh, either as a daughter or as a father, and you're all dressed up and ready to go, and the wedding coordinator comes in and says, it's time, right? This is the moment you've been waiting for. It's time to walk down the aisle. Other of you uh, parents, maybe uh, long ago or just recently, uh, this is a very a real statement uh, for you. The contractions get closer uh, and closer together, and then all of a sudden, dads, your wife squeezes your hand and says... It's time, right? Because when it's time, it's time to go to the hospital. It's time to take action. Time is a very interesting thing. It moves quicker than we think it does. And our job is not to just stare at time. Our job is to start asking the questions, what are we doing with our time? Ever seen one of these, these hourglasses? I had a hard, really hard time finding one, but maybe we don't use them anymore. But uh, they're, they're, they're so intriguing to me. There's a lot of ways that we count time and we have our, our phones and everything and our watches, but there's something about an hourglass that's very intriguing uh, to me. It's so simple and yet it's so profound because every single one of us, when you flip that hourglass over, we all have a certain number of grains of sand in our lives. We've all been given the same amount of time. We've been talking about that this past few weeks is that maybe we all haven't been given the same amount of treasure, but we've all been given the same amount of time. Every single one of us has the same amount of kernels of sand in our lives. And at some point, I don't know about you, but life just seems to get busier and busier, doesn't it? And at some point in our lives, and I hope it's sooner rather than later for you, I hope that you're not still on the treadmill, but so many of us spend so, much, so many years of our lives on the treadmill from meeting to meeting to event to event to duty to duty to obligation to obligation. And the primary question for a lot of us during the, the, the large portion of our life is what time is it, right? What time is it? You're always checking the time because you're late, you're busy, you're rushed, you're on to the next thing. And at some point in our lives, I believe that we're called to slow down and look at time differently. And the primary question in our lives ceases to become what time is it? And as we get older, the primary question in our lives needs to become what am I doing with my time? 
What am I doing with the time? What am I doing with the grains of sand that have been giving to me? Because a lot of us would want to pretend that it's not falling. A lot of us would want to pretend that, well, it just kind of sits like this, and there, it, there's no sense of urgency to our lives. But the reality is, it is. And at a certain point, it's going to run out at some point. The question is, what are we doing with the time that's been given to us to zoom out? So we, the reason for that is that we don't miss what's most important. We can get lots of things done and be very productive in our lives, and then we look and realize, what have I done with the time that's been given to me? This time of year, a lot of people get nostalgic, and I love some of the articles that come out online, and I recently heard a survey that was done. There was a group of people that went around to assisted living uh, facilities and to hospitals, and they particularly interviewed people that they met with the doctors and nurses and said they have maybe, maybe a year or two, but most of them under a year to live. These are senior citizens. These are people in their 80s and 90s that don't have a lot of time left, and they're very reflective. They're still uh, cognitively aware to reflect back on their life, and they, they asked them a variety of questions, but they interviewed thousands of senior citizens, and they asked them, those with maybe just a few kernels of sand left, and they asked them this very, very poignant question. If you could do it all over again, what would you change? If you could get those years back, and some of you maybe are starting to think of that now, even at this stage of your life, wherever you're at. They asked these folks that have a year or less to live, if you could do your life all over again, what would you change? And if you can imagine, there was a variety uh, of answers, a whole bunch of them. They listed 25, the kind of the top 25, and they lumped these themes together. And then they listed just a few fun ones that maybe got one or two uh, votes as well. So I wanted to sh share a few of them uh, with you. One of them that really stuck out to me that was in the top 10 that, that kind of came together as a common theme is, I wouldn't have been in such a hurry all the time. I wouldn't have been in such a hurry all the time. A lot of them had to do with eating. <laughs> I wouldn't have been so rushed eating. I would have slowed down and actually just taken time to eat. This one was interesting for those of us that are parents. There was a few that all clumped around the theme of, I wouldn't have been so hard on my kids. I wouldn't have been so hard on my kids. This was one of my favorite ones in the eating and diet section. One elderly man said, forget the diet fads. I would have eaten more chocolate milkshakes. That's what he said. I like that one. That did not make the top three. Uh, do you want to know what the top one was? Yeah. Out of all these, the very top one, they lumped all these themes together. And the one major theme of thousands of people interviewed. This, this is some perspective, folks, right? These are people that have lived long, full lives, Okay. And the top answer was this, I would spend more time on things that would somehow live on after I die, after I'm gone. What does that tell you? And the question I want to challenge you with and pose to you this morning is why do we have to wait to the end to consider what really matters? Why do we have to wait? Why do we have to get to that point in our life to consider what really matters, to consider how much sand you have left to truly make an impact? And if you think about it from a very holistic, big vision perspective, that's what we've been talking about these last four weeks. And really even before that with our campaign teams meeting long before that months ago. But these last four weeks in particular, we've been talking about this. And if I haven't made it clear by now, then I probably haven't done my job, uh, or maybe you haven't been around. But we tried to make it very, very clear that way beyond this being about money or buildings or budgets or some sort of fundraiser, this is about being a part of something that is bigger than you and I. This is about making an impact with the grains of sand that we have left and saying together, what can we do together as a church family that none of us could do alone? We're going to impact lives 
for eternity. This is about being something bigger than us, that's far beyond us. This theme that we get from Ephesians chapter 3, building to a hope beyond. Are you living for things now, or are you living for a hope beyond? Because you do know that there's more sand, right? There's more sand to come forever. So are we living for things now or living for things forever? And so we've kind of shared this great problem and the, the beauty, the beautiful reality. Notice I say the great problem. You've never heard us complain about this. We will never complain about problems of crowding and people. But we are simply out of space in a variety of ways. I don't think it's a coincidence that all four weeks of this campaign at this service, those of you that have been here, there's literally been people sitting in the lobby and all around upstairs, as you can see right now. There have been some Sundays where there, there are people that come in and they can't see. That's not okay at Lutheran Church of Hope or any church that's trying to grow the kingdom. There should never be a time where you can't see, where you can't participate. But it's not simply that we're out of space in worship, but also the ministries that we've had that are started have limitations to growth because of the building. And furthermore, we can't support the ministries we have, let alone the ones that God has placed on people's hearts and will place on people's hearts to start. And secondly, in the midst of that crowding, God continues to grow us as a church, deeper and wider. And we could go through the math and we could go through the statistics and tell you that we've grown by 79% in the last four years and all of that. But as we've talked about before, it's not about the numbers. It's never been about the numbers. But we do care about numbers because numbers represent people and people that have changed lives. And that is what we're about at Lutheran Church of Hope. Amen? Amen. That's why we exist. And so we do pay attention to those things. And the reality is that we have a beautiful church home in a strategic location in the heart of the city, but without an option to grow, without a hope beyond our current facility right now, we are moving into the next decade for our kids and our grandkids, the next few decades, with a dynamic growing church with no room to expand. And so as you see up on the screen, you've seen these uh, renderings uh, before and the different things we're hoping to do with this building that is directly uh, to our north, which is why we're doing all this. And I could not be more excited. The way that it all came together was a total God thing. It was a total Holy Spirit thing in the way that we have this deal uh, in place, with, which is a former uh, insurance building. It's a win-win situation for them. We're a really good relationship uh, with the owner. And we are so excited to add an additional close to 8,000 square feet for ministry and mission space. We're excited to grow. Uh, yeah, praise God for that. Absolutely. Okay, a word of warning here about clapping. Some of you that are Lutherans are like, what is happening right now? This is the clapping breakout in the service. If you're from a different denomination and that's normal, you just do you, okay? You just keep going. That's fine. You can clap at any point in the service. Amen? All right, we're not going to squelch the spirit here or anything like that. But God has blessed us with this opportunity. And the problem is we don't own it and it's kind of a dump, okay? It just hasn't been kept up super well. And just like this building was when we moved in, you might have walked in here and go, how in the world is going to be this going to be a church, right? And now it has been for the last five years. People have been married here. It's a holy space, all right? And so the problem is we don't own it and it's not in good shape, hence our campaign. And you know, we haven't been shy about our giving goals. We have different goals. Our top goal being 1.6 million. And some of you are like, are you crazy? 1.6 million in four weeks? Yeah, we're a little crazy. But when you start talking about the kingdom and you start riding this wave of the Holy Spirit that we've been on, we know it's not about us. If this is going to happen, if we're going to purchase and renovate this facility, it's not going to be about us and our own abilities. This has got to be a God thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a God thing. Just tell them that right now. It's a God thing. It has to be. 
And the, the, the thing about that, I was talking to our senior pastor, uh, Mike, who's been through a, a few giving campaigns. We've done dozens of these campaigns at all of our campuses uh, over the years. And sometimes when you start talking about money, and those of you that are brand new today, uh, number one, uh, you, you came on Commitment Sunday, uh, which is a perfect time to come. So number one, I'm sorry. And number two, that's awesome. We love it that you're here. I talked to a couple uh, this morning that it's their first time here, and that mirrors last year I talked to a couple that it was their first time here on Commitment Sunday, and they've been back almost every week since. So uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't scare them away, but some people get a little freaked out when we start talking about money in the church, and so I wanted to just kind of loosen us up a little bit here, and so I was talking to Pastor Mike and looking for some profound statement. I'm like, it's Commitment Sunday. You know, what do I tell the people? You know, it's a pretty lofty goal, $1.6 million for us uh, to raise that, and he said, well, John, just tell them that we already have all the money that we need. I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. He's like, yeah, just tell them we already have all the money we need. The problem is it's just in their bank accounts, okay? <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, loosen up. Just tell them that right now. You know, loosen up a little bit, all right? So I was thinking about a, a picture to give you, and we've given you lots of images over the last few weeks of what we're doing, that this is far beyond just some fundraiser or something like that, and I could not help but think about the image of an open door. Some of you walked in this morning and you're like, we normally don't have an open, uh, you know, an old uh, antique door on display, but we do. If you can see that, kind of look over here. So our creative team, which we have incredibly talented people here at Hope Des Moines, if you're interested in that, we have a whole group of artists that gets together and they etch, they sort of uh, uh, burned in and etched into this old door the renderings of our future building with a hope beyond. And then the service last night signed it around. You'll have an opportunity to do that later. But I was thinking about this, what came to mind about what we're trying to do with this new facility. Because I believe this new building, this, will, this expansion will allow us as a church to fling our doors open wide. Amen? That's why there's a giant door up here. That's why we're doing that. In fact, there's a stories all throughout the Bible of doors, and we're going to focus on one in particular today from the scripture reading you heard. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to dive into this story quick today. Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles from the back, uh, Mark chapter 2, well, it's in the same place in every Bible. Or if you have your Bible app on your phone, we encourage you to do that. If you need one, you can grab one of those anytime. That's our gift to you. So Mark chapter 2. I was thinking about the importance of doors. Doors serve a lot of purposes. They open things up. They can shut you out. They can create barriers. But this is a story that often gets overlooked. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is gaining popularity, and I love the gospel of Mark because he just gets right to it, right? It's like one of those, those uh, TV shows on Netflix that just kind of draws in your attention in the first 30 seconds. That's like Mark. Mark, the gospel of Mark is the original Netflix sitcom, okay? It just draws you in in the first 30 seconds, and Jesus is already growing in popularity. People are talking about him. He's a rabbi that's known to heal, and so we pick it up in verse one, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Number two, now listen to this. They gathered, just, just think about these words. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door as he preached the word to them. Now, reading this a little bit, I had to kind of laugh a little bit because I feel like we can sort of relate. You look at those pictures, here's Jesus speaking outside the door. This is at Simon Peter and Andrew's house, a couple of his disciples there in Capernaum, and there's Jesus, and people are overflowing out of the door and out standing here today, and people are 
overflowing outside of the door. So we've kind of got a little Mark chapter 2 action uh, going on here. There was probably a year ago, I, maybe if some of you are around, I just kind of made this statement. I said, someday, someday we're going to have a service in here that there's going to be so many people that we're going to have to set up stools up in the loft. Hey, party people up there. We're really glad you're here this morning. Everybody wave the people up in the loft. There they are, right? We got a little Mark chapter two action going on here, okay? So Jesus is in the house and there's so many people there that they're overflowing outside the door. I mean, you look at those pictures of classes and worship space here. I mean, it's almost like Jesus is in the house. Oh, wait, he is, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is in the house today. Tell him that right now. <laughs> Jesus is in the house, right? And so word is spreading, people are getting healed. And so if there's rumor that Jesus is at a house and some guy gets healed, word's going to get out and he's going to tell his friend and then she's going to tell her friend and then the word's going to spread and people are going to continue to flood in these doors. And the house is full. Have you ever wondered, you kind of take a step back from this story a little bit, ever wondered how did all those people get in there? So this is Simon Peter and Andrew's house, right? For Simon and Andrew, this is their house, right? They could have just shut the door and it would have been fine, right? And they, they're just hanging out with Jesus and they could have avoided all the crowds. Well, it's helpful to know, I did a little background on this, in Middle Eastern culture, as well as a few other cultures at that time, but particularly in the time of Jesus, when people lived in villages and neighborhoods like this, it was sort of a, uh, an unspoken way of communicating to the community around you. If you left your door open, you were inviting people in. You know, just kind of like what we do, you know, we drive home. If we leave your garage up, then maybe you'll stop by and say hi to your neighbors. A lot of us drive home, put the garage door down, go in, turn on Netflix, right? Because we don't want to talk to anybody, right? But that's not what Simon Peter and Andrew do. They left the door open, apparently. But if you don't want visitors, then you shut the door. But Simon and Andrew left the door open. It was overflowing with people because the doors were wide open. Why? Because Jesus was in the house, right? Because Jesus was there, and Jesus always leaves the door open, right? If Jesus is in the house, the door's got to be wide open. And our role is to be a church that has doors that are wide open. That's why we're doing this campaign in the first place, and that I'm not up here pa passively hinting at the fact that we need your help to make this happen. It's not magic. It's not going to poof out of nowhere. God invites us. It's God's thing. He's going to do, we already established it's a God thing, right? But he invites us as his friends to be a part of what he's doing in this world and this mission. And the reality is in our current space, a way to look at this in our current facility, there's too many closed doors. Not literally, but you got in here this morning. There's too many closed doors, meaning there's too many limitations on our current ministries. Our worship is limited in its growth. Our children and student ministries is limited in its growth. Our outreach ministries, particularly here on Sunday morning and up in the loft, and those of you that had a hard time finding a spot to eat this morning or a hard time finding a seat for worship is limited. Our outreach to the community, we can't host any community events or outreach events right now because our space is limited. And figuratively, there are too many closed doors, and Jesus wants to open up some doors. If Think about it in a Mark chapter 2 sense. There are people that are gathering outside the door that can't fit in the building where Jesus is. And if there's no room in a building where Jesus is, well, then we need to build some new doors. Amen? Amen? We need to build some new doors. And that's what we're doing here. And one of the reasons that I am so thankful for you as a church, we talk about that a lot this time of year, what we're thankful for, right? 
One of the reasons I am so thankful for you, and I tell our staff this all the time, we have an incredible congregation. You are an amazing church, and one of the many reasons why is that you've always been an open-door type of church. You've always had that mentality that you're, that you're an open door. We're going we're gonna to do whatever it takes, and we're not going to settle into the mentality that, well, we have a church home now, and I've got a place to sit during worship, and too bad for those suckers that came late, right? I've seen some of you before get up from your seats and say, no, sit here, right? I, all the way back to our Hubble days of unloading things from a trailer and setting up your own chair, making your own coffee, if you had to, and loading things in every week. The way that you serve, the way that you reach out, the way that you invite. It'd be so easy to stay in our little holy huddle. It'd be so easy to stay in our little Christian bubble. But hear me say this. You are an open-door church because you've always put the mission of Jesus ahead of your own comfort and convenience. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be an open-door church. And because of it, we've been able to open more and more doors. You want to think about the last five or six years. Breakfast club, whiz kids, student ministry, children's ministry, young adult ministry, preschool, men's ministry, women's ministry, support groups, creative arts ministry. I could go on and on and on. Are all doors that have been flung open. Because we didn't settle in and say, well, I think we're just going to settle for where we're at. We're not adding to our building just to grow the church. We're not at opening more doors just because God wants your money. <laughs> we're asking you to help us open some more doors, just like Simon and Andrew did in Capernaum that day, so that more and more people can experience Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing this campaign. Amen? Amen. Don't forget how the story ends. Look back at Mark chapter 2. This part you might be a little bit more familiar with. This is the flannel graph part that you learned about in Sunday school, okay? We're going to take a different look at it, right? You might be more familiar. So verse 3, some men came. So house is crowded. Jesus is in the middle of the house. People overflowing. People overflowing outside the door. And now it says some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. So just pause there for a second. Can you imagine the scene? We've got a guy that's paralyzed. You hear that Jesus is healing people. And so if you're one of his buddies, you're like, it's time, right? Just like the opening video clip we watched. It's time. It's go time. If Jesus is in the house, we're going to get in that house, okay? We're going to do whatever it takes. So we're coming up and you get to the door and you see this massive crowd, just like some of you have maybe walked in the back and go, whoa, there's nowhere to sit today, right? But what I love about these friends is what happens Next, so they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. Don't you love the tenacity of these guys? This is another sermon for another day, but just write this down if you're taking notes. Who's your four? That's just a side sermon for another day, okay? Who's your four, right? We may not be paralyzed today, but you need four. You need four people in your life that can get you to Jesus sometimes. When you're hurting and you're struggling, who you got? Okay, when you're hurting, who are your four? So these four get with this guy and they bring him up to the roof. And can you imagine Jesus, the God of the universe, is in the middle of a sermon? Can you imagine if I was preaching here and all of a sudden there's this saw that starts poking through the roof, right? And it's cutting out. I'm like, hey, you know, if Jesus wants to come, then great. You know, we'll open up the roof, right? But what I love about this scene is that his friends do whatever it takes. When you can't get your friends to Jesus, you do whatever it takes, right? You open more doors, and if the door's crowded, you make your own door. That's what we're doing in this campaign. We're not settling for who's here yet. We're not settling for the amount of open doors in our ministries that we currently have. When the door's crowded, you build more 
doors. Do we have, do we have the same tenacity that these four guys had to get our, thank you, amen. Do we have the same tenacity to get our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and our family members to Jesus that these four guys had? Are we gonna do whatever it takes? And here's why this matters. Here's why what we're doing today on Commitment Weekend matters. Because for far too long, the church has been known for its closed doors rather than open doors. When people outside of the church think about the church, they think about closed doors, or at least it's closed to me. I could never belong there. And we've talked about this before. What would it look like for us to be a church where you can belong before you believe? Where you could come here and not want anything to do with this Jesus guy. But man, you want to come and be a part of it because you've never been so loved. And in the course of being here and being in this community and being loved, you realize, you know what? Whatever these people have, I want some of that, right? And it's Jesus. Why? Because just like Mark chapter 2, Jesus is in the house. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is in the house today. Tell them that right now. <laughs> Jesus is in the house, right? And that's why we're doing what we're doing. Because of open doors. The Bible talks all about open doors, And this open door is so important because the good news of Jesus is so important that we got to fling open every door that we can so that no matter what your church background or your denominational background or your, 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 your mistakes or your past or your wounds or your income level or your housing status or your race or your political affiliation, people can know that there's an open door for them. I love how the Apostle John talks about it in his revelation that he's giving to the church's Through the angels in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Let's read it together. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. That's your God talking. And when Jesus opens a door, we don't shut it. Amen? When Jesus opens a door, we don't shut it. Jesus says, I'm a God of open doors. That's why we exist as a church. And let me just say this on a very personal level. Some of you are here today because somebody else invited you. Some of you are here today because you came, and instead of hatred or judgment or condemnation for your past, somebody was an open door for you, okay? I've t- I told our greeters this all the time. You're not just saying hi to people at the door. You're door holders for the kingdom of God for somebody, right? You're door holders for the kingdom of God. This isn't little stuff that we're doing here. And I don't know about you, but that, <laughs> seeing people's lives change forever That's worth spending every amount of sand that I have left. We're not playing church here. This is eternal work that's going on. And I can't think of a better way to spend the grains of sand that I have left on this earth than letting people know that there's a lot more sand where that came from. Amen? Because Jesus is the one that comes with his bucketfuls, not a little bit of grains of sand, but with shovelfuls, with with barrels full, with pickup trucks full, with eternity full of sand saying, There's so much more. There's so much more sand. There's an eternity full of sand. And why would we waste any more time here on this earth telling people, oh, you know, make the most of the time that you have? No, I want to tell people there's more sand. And you don't have to settle for what's in there right now. That's why we're doing what we're doing in this campaign matters because there's so much more. And so I've said it before, but you've probably heard these phrases before, but several weeks ago when we kicked off this campaign, we had three goals. Everybody say gather. Everybody say grow. Grow. Say give. Those were our three goals. Notice nowhere in there does it say fundraiser. Because you know what? 
we haven't even given yet, and this campaign's been a success. And I believe that with all my heart. And here's why. Because we've gathered. You've been faithful in your weekly worship and making that a priority. We've gathered in in people's homes. I mean, speaking of open doors, dozens of you just opened up the doors of your home and flung them open wide. And people have realized. I love hearing the stories of people. Hey, I... I, I didn't know you lived down the street from me. We go to the same church, right? And the thing is, we have people, in, we, there's like 10, 12, 15 different zip codes represented in this church from all over the metro area. So you've gathered and worship in each other's homes, and at the same time, we've accomplished our goal of prayer as well. I've heard from several different couples in particular. They told me, Pastor John, we have prayed more together as a couple over what we should give in this campaign. We've prayed more, period, as a couple in the last four weeks than I can ever remember before. That's growth. We're becoming more and more mature. And I will tell you this, before we even get to the giving part, something else I want to commend you for as a church, and this matters, and I want to say this today. A couple weeks ago, I interviewed my friend Chris that's up here that happens to be on our staff now. And he came in for Breakfast Club several years ago in pretty rough shape, and you got to hear a little bit of his story. And so he shared his story of transformation and how people opened doors for him and where that, that kingdom door holder for him and his life has completely changed. And he loves Jesus and he's mentoring other people and he's a big part of what God's doing here around hope. That was cool. That was awesome. And a lot of you left, yay, awesome sermon, Pastor John. You know what the best part of the sermon was? The way that you loved him in the 15 minutes after that service was done. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Because it's not going to make headline news. It's not going to make it up on the jumbotron. It's not going to be out on social media. But that's the heartbeat of a church, is the way that you came around him. And I saw multiple people go up to Chris and put their arm around him and give him a hug or pray for him. And you loved him so well. And that is just as important, if not more important, than us building multi-million dollar buildings. Because what point is there in building more buildings if they're not filled with a church that loves each other well? Amen? Amen. And that's what you do. So praise God for you. I'm so thankful for that. That's maturity. You love well. And so we've gathered, we've grown in our maturity and our love and our prayer for each other. And finally, God's calling us to give. Kind of the, the central uh, verse uh, of, our, uh, of our campaign has been this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you can read that, let's read it together. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we've said it once and I'll say it again. It is so clear that today God cares just as much about the manner in which we give than how much we give. Does that make sense? God looks at the heart. And Paul tells us in this passage, there's joy in giving. Some of you are like, John, why are you excited about taking two offerings? That's weird, right? I'm excited because there's going to be an explosion of joy here in a little bit. Because when we give out of the joy and the generosity of our heart, we're actually set free and it brings us joy rather than money being some guilt or thing or pressure thing or a burden thing. There's going to be an explosion of Joy. What if God wanted to surprise you with his joy here today? If you want to see some joy in a little bit when we do our processional offering, our kids are going to come down from upstairs and they've been collecting money. Talk about an example of being the church now, right? Fifth grade and under have been collecting their money for this campaign and they're going to lead. They're going to lead us as the church. 
because that's what Jesus said, is that kids are the model of the kingdom and their faith. And so they're going to lead us in that. But at the same time, some of you are sitting here today thinking, John, it's all about money. I don't have anything to give. If you look at your commitment card, if you want to just take a quick peek at that, if you look at your commitment card, there's another line on there that says, my time and talent. And that's because this is not a campaign where the people with money come up. This is a campaign where everybody comes up because it's an all play, because we're one church family. And every single one of you has time and talents that God has given you. Ways, maybe some of you that are currently serving or ways that you feel like God has laid on your heart. I can't give financially today, but you're saying, I'm a carpenter. I'm an attorney. I'm a plumber. I'm a teacher. I work with children with special needs. I, whatever it is, write it down. Start praying about that. Start thinking about that now because every single person can be a door holder to the kingdom. And you're already doing it in so many ways. I don't want you to think that this is a brand new thing for us. I've had so many of you come up, say, John, when we get in there, I'm ready to rip down some walls. I'm ready to renovate. I'm ready to use my gifts. I'm ready to help paint whatever it is. You're, you're being a door holder to the kingdom for those of you that were here hours before the rest of us this morning, making the coffee that we're drinking right now, preparing the goodies and the donuts, those that are helping and holding your kids in the nursery or hope kids right now, those that will be praying after the service today, those that are playing an instrument on stage, or maybe some of you that simply were here today, and the reason that God had you here was to give somebody a high five and say, welcome to hope, because you can't remember the last time that somebody was glad to see you. We're all door holders to the kingdom, and you're a part of this more than you know. There's a story during the uh, space race when JFK was president that JFK and some of his secret service and some of his cabinet members were touring NASA, and they were meeting with some high-ranking officials in NASA and having some really important meetings. And they had just got done with an important meeting and touring one of the Apollo, possible Apollo missions, and they're leaving, and JFK looks down this long, dark hallway, and at the end of the hallway, he sees a janitor mopping. And he stops and his entire secret service detail does this beeline and the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, walks down this dark hallway where this guy alone, probably nobody knows he's there, but he's doing his job. He's mopping the floor and JFK looks at him and says, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? And the gentleman looked up and kind of like stood at attention like, oh, the president of the United States is watching me mop, right? And he said, yes, Mr. President. And JFK says, what are you doing? Sir, may I ask what you're doing? And I don't think he was prepared for the response because this lowly, late-night janitor worker looked up to the leader of the free world and said, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. What you give matters. How you serve matters. Who you invite every week to this church matters. What you do matters. Because we're doing something even greater than putting a man on the moon. Through us, God wants to change people's lives for eternity. What we do in November of 2018 matters. Because don't forget that doors open, doors close, but the third purpose of doors is that they reveal what's beyond. <laughs> They reveal a hope beyond, and it's time to open some doors to the future because what we do here today will impact the future of Hope Des Moines for the next 10, 20, 25, 30 years from now. These aren't church buildings. This is our home as a church where 
Maybe some of you, you or your kids, either have been or will be baptized. Be confirmed. Celebrate their first communion. Get married. We've already done that several times. This is our home. And some of you are like, well, that's a new building. I'm telling you right now, that old rundown insurance building, people are going to get healed over there. Lives are going to get changed over there. Addictions are going to be broken over there. Marriages are going to be restored over there. People are going to come to faith over there, right? People are going to get baptized over there, right? And hear me say this. It has nothing to do with us. Why is that all going to happen? It's because Jesus is in the house, right? Just like Mark chapter 2. Jesus is in the house. Just like he is here, Jesus is going to be in the house over there. It's a hope beyond. Can you imagine 25, 30 years from now, the kids, including our own kids that are up in Hope Kids and preschool right now, are going to be thumbing through the art. Well, they'll be looking through our Instagram feeds. They'll be our scrapbooks, and they'll be looking. And the first thing is they're looking at pictures of us in 2018. They're going to go, seriously? They thought that that was in style. They need to get some fashion tips, right? That's the first thing. The second thing, beyond that, that I hope they say is, I'm so glad that there was a group of people in 2018 that didn't settle. I'm so glad that there was a group of people in 2018 that were thinking of us, that looked beyond themselves, that looked at the grains of sand that they had left and said, I want to be a part of something that's going to matter 20, 30 years from now and into eternity. This really got personal for me and, and hit home a couple weeks ago. had lots of meetings about this campaign, and I was getting ready to leave the house one night to head to our campaign leadership meeting, and our five-year-old Caleb said, Daddy, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm just headed over to our church building. Notice I said our church building, because you're the church. I said, I'm heading over to our church building for a meeting. And he said, Daddy, what's the meeting about? And I paused for a second, because I was about to say, oh, giving campaign, he's going to be whatever. How would I say this to my kid? How could I tell him what I'm doing that would make sense to him? And that, well, maybe this will make sense to us this morning. And I said, hey, buddy, daddy's going to go to church and talk to some people about how we can make even more room at our church so that more people can know about Jesus. I said, is that pretty cool? And as only Caleb can, he said, oh, yeah. And that's my prayer is that that would be your response today because I want to I want to tell him stories someday about how 2018, that November of 2018 was a pretty awesome time for Hope Des Moines because we were thinking about you, buddy. And daddy was thinking about his hourglass and we wanted to do something that would matter for you. And we didn't know it then, but God knew that God was about to blow the doors off this place. God was about to do something huge because we took a leap of faith. And so today I kind of feel like a coach that's giving a final speech before a a big game as we kind of huddle up together and get ready to take action. It reminds me of a scene from one of my favorite films of all time. And some of you have maybe uh, heard me talk about the movie Hoosiers if you've been around the last 10 years. Uh, we've talked about this a few times. So here's Gene Hackman. He's the coach of Hickory, which is this tiny high school, 60 people in the whole high school, and their basketball team makes it to the Indiana State Basketball Championship. 
They are up, it's a David and Goliath sort of situation. And they're playing South Bend Central, who's, I mean, this would be like Randall, Iowa playing West Des Moines Valley or something. I mean, they just like can't even describe it for you, the mismatch. And they're playing South Bend Central, the defending state champions. And they're huddled up before the big game, before they take action. I want you to listen to the heart of the coach and the heart of the players as they get ready and come together as a family to do something incredible together. Let's take a look. Hickory, it's time to take the floor. I'll get preacher. Okay. Well, we're way past big speech time. I want to thank you for the last few months. It's been very special for me. Anybody have anything they want to say? Yeah. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. Okay. I want to win for my dad. Let's win for Coach, who got us here. Thank you. With God of heaven, it is all one. To deliver with a great multitude or a small company. For the victory of battle standeth not in the multitude of hosts, but strength cometh from heaven. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it. And it struck the Philistine on the head, and he fell to the ground. Amen. Amen. So if we could, we'd bring it in. There's a few too many of us to do that, including those of you upstairs, right? I couldn't have said it better myself. The last few months have been very special to me. And later this week, you're going to get inevitably asked, what are you thankful for? And I just want to tell you, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for your generous hearts. And I want to tell you that, number one, you're going to write on that door as you leave today. And number two, it is an honor to be on this mission with you. So it's game time, folks. It's way past big speech time. You've already got that. It's game time. It's time to build to a hope beyond. And so if you want to take out those commitment cards, the band's going to play for a little bit and lead us in worship, and like I said, every single one of you, including those of you up on the loft, there'll be a basket up there for you as well. This offering is for everybody, for us as a church to bring our Thanksgiving offerings to God. And so I want you to write on there, even if you're not giving financially today, or even if you're gonna give online later on, still write it on your commitment card, what your plan 
gift is, your, your upfront commitment or your three-year pledge for this campaign. And you'll bring it up here in a little bit after the children lead us, and you're going to place it. There's four baskets, so if you're in this area, just to avoid the crowd up here, if you're in this section over here, I go to the far basket. If you're kind of in the middle section here, you can come to this basket. For those of you on this side in this section, there's a basket right over there in this basket as well. We encourage you to come on up and drop that off. And then as you head back to your seat, don't go anywhere because you're not going to want to miss the ending. We're going to sing and we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship together. So just head back to your seat and you can sing along with the worship band as well. But we encourage you uh, to do that. And parents, if you want to go grab uh, your child right now, if you want to give together as a family, you can head out and grab them. They're waiting for us back in the lobby around there right now. And you can grab them if you want to come up uh, as a family together. Like I said, law folks, You can just give uh, right up there and then head back to your seats uh, as well. And then what I want to encourage you to do after the service today is that door that was up here, we want to be an open door kind of church. And so before you leave today, there can be four or five people around it at a time. I want you to write a word of prayer, not a sentence, not a paragraph, but a word of prayer on there for the new building. And we're going to put that door, that old door, in the new building. And your prayers will be a part of the walls in there forever hopefully. And so right uh, on that door around the outside and around the frame. Hope, it's time. It's time. It's time to build to a hope beyond. Amen? Amen. Let's worship. Let's give.